Welcome to the Principal's Office Podcast, where we believe that the principal's job is the most interrupted job on the planet, and creating a clear and cohesive plan is the best way to improve your school. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Miller. I'm the founder of Leaders Building Leaders, and it's my goal each week to introduce you to new strategies and initiatives that are improving schools across the country. You're going to learn leadership principles that are going to help you accelerate your growth, build your teams, and execute on those goals so you can exceed those expectations of the communities that you aim to serve. If you want to learn more about what we do, you can go to our website at lbleaders.com. But for right now, enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. Let's get started here. Well, welcome everybody. Hey, Polly, hey, Angela. Welcome everybody who's on here live with us. You guys can hear me okay, right? Everybody's good? Well, awesome. I'm really excited about this session. And um, I think this is maybe the most important, uh, you know, session we've had so far because they really tied all together here. And, and so, I mean, when I was looking through John Maxwell's Laws of Leadership and just understanding the uh, principles of uh, leadership, I was like, oh my gosh, all of these laws are tied into these three particular um, uh, sections here. One, right, the higher the great teachers is all about understanding, um, most importantly, the law of navigation. And the law of navigation is that everybody can I'm sorry, anybody can steer a ship, but it takes a real leader to chart a course. And if you don't understand the course you're going, you don't know who to hire and you don't know where to equip people, right? And then I started thinking about, okay, well, that's the law of the inner circle. The inner circle says that, um, that I need to be able to surround myself. My success is going to be dictated by the people that I surround myself, right? And then I'm like, oh gosh, well, that's the law of attraction. I don't get what I want, I get who I am. And so me as a good person, right, if I'm making good decisions as a leader, is going to attract things. It's gonna attract people and resources and all these other specs, aspects to me. And I'm like, okay, well then when I draw those you know, people you know, to me, then, we'll, then, then, then well, what do I do with them? Well, that's the law of multiplication. And law of multiplication is how you learn to develop your top 20% and teach them to develop the 20% it just keeps cascading all the way down. It was just all these uh, principles of leadership that I just kept, you know, tying into here and over and over and over and over again. So I'm wondering, as we start here, when you're reading Todd Whitaker, when you're reading these, th these uh, action steps that he's talking about, hire great, you know, uh, teachers and create change and um, keep the main thing, the main thing, like what, what other authors or what other principles are you able to tie into this, to this, you know, conversation? Is there any other leadership principles or leadership authors or leaders uh, that are that are um, coming into your awareness, you know, based upon Todd's uh, Todd's writing? And I'll open it up there. I know I laid a lot on you all in the first couple of minutes, but. And if you just hopped on live, we're talking about the leadership principles that we're learning under, under Whitaker that we've 
probably learn from other authors. And that's why I like Todd the most out of education leadership experts is that he aligns to what, you know, I learned from the most is John Maxwell's leadership uh, principles and his 21 laws, his 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. And so we talked about, you know, the law of multiplication, the law of the inner circle, the law of attraction, the law of navigation, uh, the law of uh, buy-in, right? I got to be able to get buy-in from my people to be able to create change. If I don't have, uh, you know, a buy-in, then I'm just going to spurt great ideas, but they're never going to amount to anything because I can't create that change uh, that I need. Sorry, you guys weren't able to unmute yourself. I just changed that. So if you want to unmute yourself, go for it. Somebody needs to let me know next time. <laughs> Sorry about that. Anyone want to chime in? This is my actually my first to. year in leadership, so I've, I haven't done a lot of reading. So I don't have of this nature. I've done a lot of reading, but not of necessarily this this nature. So I really don't have anything to compare it to right now. Okay, and if you don't mind, Polly, I'm going to just kind of change your wording a little bit. This is the first year that you're in a position exactly. of leadership. Exactly. You've always been a leader. That's right. Thank you. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. You've always been a leader. Anybody else want to something that they've read or something or just, you know, something that you're reading that just really that is really kind of resonating with you about your prior experiences. Um, Well, what I want to do, I'm going to pop in here. So, so let's talk about a couple of things. So, so back in the um, back into the uh, to the workbook here in the study guide, uh, you know, Dr. Jim Rohn is another um, author that I love, and he has this book um, called uh, "The Four Seasons of Life." And so, you know, Linus, he just you know talks about how you know people and things are in your are in your world for a reason, for a season, or for a lifetime. And one of the more you know, critical aspects is to look at your um, growth in seasons. And one of the lessons that I share out, and I'll add it you know, maybe to, the, to, our, um, to our resource book here, is, is um, how, how long will your winter last, right? And so one of the keys to being an effective leader is being able to, you know, strategically design your vision, right? To make sure that your vision can come to, to you know, uh, you know, truth, right? I always call it from a, you know, vision to a heartbeat, right? I mean, that's a really important part of the process. And so um, if we do not cultivate in the spring, we're really due for a harsh winter, right? So, so Roan was, you know, saying, that you know, most of the harvesting, most of the cultivating, most of the planting is done in the springtime. Now, last COVID, or last March, our world was rocked by COVID, right? And we're kind of in this year two, 
And so I always ask, like, well, how long will your winter last? Because if you don't cultivate enough in the spring, it doesn't give enough time for things to grow, for you to weed it over the summer. And then all of a sudden, by, like, fall, you're, like, starving. You're like, you know what? My plans didn't work, or I didn't hire the right people, or the programs didn't have enough time, or we didn't have the training. And it's just such a key aspect. Like, if you're going to design for change, right, if you're going to look to create positive change, what you know, Whitaker really talks about is that you have to remove the attachments of your school. So whatever's not working in your organization, you have to eliminate it. It has to, you know, like everything I always say should, should have to fight for its life to get on your daily agenda, to get on your, um, your annual plans, and anything that's not taking you, if you can't, or you or your team cannot prove that that action program that person is going to take you closer to your end destination. You have to take it outside and you have to kill it. Don't kill any people though. Just, just have them work somewhere else. Okay. All right. So, so with that, then you have to recruit and orient new people who no longer fit the old model. This is really important, right? I mean, when you think about it, sometimes we hire for comfort. I've hired for comfort many times as a business owner and as a principal, right? We hire for comfort rather than hire for change. And what I got to do is I've got to be able to find the uh, pathways, right? And uh, of this, this, you know, channel of really great recruits who don't fit what my school used to be, who fit who I want my school to become. Give me a yes in the chat box if if I'm making any sense. It's been a long it's a it's been a long Zoom day. Am I clear? All right. Is everybody good with that? So how do we so how do we do that? Right? So how do we do that? How do we how do we begin, right? As you know, Whitaker's, you know, talking about this, you know, not not hiring, right? Just not hiring the current good match, hiring the perfect match for the future. What are some of the practices you all use to to hire really great people as far as what you know Whitaker is sharing here. What are some ways that we do that? What are some great hiring you know strategies and techniques that you have? And the swing says, first year teachers are the best. That's right. First year teachers are the best. And the greatest mistake I made is allowing first year teachers to just get consumed by the culture. I just thought through, you know, being naive that bringing new uh, people meant like orienting me into the space that we already had, not really understanding that the space that I was inviting to was very hungry. Hiring for what you need instead of what you like. Oh, that's good, right? So, so how do you know what you need, Tamara? How do you know what you need? Oh, you can't unmute yourself. You should be able to. Let's see. You should be able to, Tamara. 
uh, I include my top 20% on the interview team. That's good, right? So making sure that the people who are part of the hiring process are also part of your design for change model, right? These are my uh, vision carriers. But before I can have vision carriers, I have to have a clear understanding. I have to have a clear understanding of, of what my vision is, right? Hey, Tamara, I'm going to make you the co-host. So now you can meet other people. You should be able to unmute yourself now, um, right? So having a clear vision of what I want and what I want my school to look like 90 days from now, 120 days from now, 360 days from now, 720 days from now. I mean, whatever that time frame is, I have to have a clear picture of that in order to be able to say, these are the types of people who excel in that environment, right? So identifying my top vision carriers in my organization and creating an avatar of who I want to hire. John Maxwell tells this story all the time. If you've ever seen him live, he'll share, um, I think I have one of his books here. I always have one of his books. He'll be like, um, he, you know, he, uh, you know, it goes to the airport, right? And when you go to the airport, and when you're lucky enough, you know, sometimes there's some, you know, folks down there at the bottom of the of the, um, you know, escalator with your name, right? And they're like looking for him. And so, most of the time, he comes down the escalator, and he's looking for his name. Someone's got his name up, and like he's like, I'm always uh, baffled by the person will say, "Oh, I found you," and he's like, "No, you didn't." find me. I found you. You had the name there, right? He said, but there was one time where this guy came directly up to him and said, oh, I found you, Mr. Maxwell. And he said, how did you know it was me? And the guy said, I, he said, I had your, I had your book and I saw your picture. I knew who to look for. And so John's always talking about that. He said, you know, before you can, you can um, hire leaders in your organization, you need to know what leaders look like in your organization and what they do in your organization and what are the skill sets like what's what's their capacity for learning and understanding and being able to define what leadership is in your your organization what is what do these vision carriers and vision casters look like and feel like and smell like and act like like what are their character attributes what are their qualities what are the skill sets that they bring and really getting clear. So in the hiring process that I put as a resource for you on our What Great Principles Do Differently page is that, is that it's a 16 step process that we use to be able to establish what, you know, what's the avatar, what's the perfect hire, who are we specifically looking for to hire? So then when we go through the hiring process, we can say, oh, that's them, that's, the avatar that we were looking for, right? Did you hear when they responded to this or that? And that's why, in, you know, I, I'm included in there, uh, behavioral-based interview questions, because anybody can answer, as Todd talks about, in a hypothetical way. But I want to know what you've done, right? Because previous behavior is the best indicator of, of, of what your behavior will be in our organization. So tell me about a time, right? Describe an instance when. Okay, all these things, right? And you're putting them through a process and having them respond to what it is that, um, you know, you want to hear from them. And Tamara said, I, uh, 
I, I know what I need by really understanding what I have. Yeah, the positives and negatives. Yeah, and it's constantly re reflecting and growing on that uh, process. Let's see, let me do this. So nobody can, can unmute themselves? Anybody try? Someone was able to a second ago. It says you're on mute, Tamara. No, I'm not on mute. Now I can talk. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. So you want to share something? So I was just going to say, whenever I, you know, sit on panels or anything else, um, I always like to know what I already have and what skill sets I already have. So I think there's the, mm. the behavioral side of, is this someone who's willing to, is going to fit into the team that we have and is going to carry us forward, but then also do they have skills that we also need? Because I think you can get a lot of the same people who have the same vision, and that's great. It's great to all be pulling towards the same vision, but then you also have to have people that can accomplish that vision. So I think having a, a variety of skill sets is really important as well. Yeah, right. So how would you know that they would be able to achieve that, what you need? Well, I, I agree with you. I think it's the questioning because I'm listening to, you know, like scenario based questions. If this, then what, or what have mm -hmm. you done? Because then, yeah, past performance is a great indicator of future choices. Or even sometimes yep. when you ask about what they did wrong, and how would they do it now? Because sometimes even seeing what they've done wrong in the past is gonna point you towards things that they still may struggle with in the future, even if they learn from it. Yep. One of the most consistently asked questions I will ask anybody is tell me about a time you failed in your leadership. What did you learn and how do you lead differently now? And I could tell a lot from a person based upon their response. It's pretty much the first eliminator that I have. <laughs> You don't tell me a story where you screwed up and you weren't willing to talk about it. You don't have a growth mindset, right? You're, 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 you're not being vulnerable enough, you know, to be able to take this next step. And that's a big issue. That's a big issue. So the only, there's only two ways to improve your school, right? What are they, everybody? What are the only two ways to improve your school? What does Whitaker say? There's two ways. Either unmute yourself if you can, or put it in the chat. If you raise your hand, Tamara and I will unmute you if for some reason you can't unmute yourself. Should let you know. Well, we just talked about one way to improve your school. What is it, Tamara? There we go, Shelly's got it. I was, I was asking you a question. And what was the question? Higher. Yeah. What are the two ways to improve your school? So the two ways to improve your school are either to hire better teachers than what you have, right? Or train the ones that you've got. got, right? Those are the only two ways you can improve your school. So having an understanding, right? So even going back, like if you've identified your top 20%, even going back and say, okay, where did that person come from? And if you don't know, if they came before you, like just ask questions, hey, how did you come to work here? What were some of the things, right? You know, how did you know about this school or 
about this place or what, what made you want to work here? Identifying why great teachers choose to work because they could work anywhere. Why do they choose to come to you? And most importantly, Polly, why do they stay? Especially if you're coming into a school that's in turmoil, right? Or, you know, the you know, culture is not very strong. Asking those key, you know, teachers, how come you're still here? What made you choose this place? And then really focusing on that, like that needs to be my recruitment plan. Because uh, I think it's in this book, but Whitaker talks about, and I know Maxwell talks about this a lot, you know, people who are at, or a, a nine or like an eight or a nine in leadership, they don't hang out with fives. Like they don't learn from lower level leaders. Great teachers, right, hang out with other great teachers. They'll help anybody, but they don't necessarily, right, congregate and work with those other people because they want to be at a high level. So identifying wh where they are, where they came from, how they got here, and what are the key tenets of your organization that they really loved. And this is the same if you're a you know, school of choice leader on here, asking your parents the same thing. Why did you choose to bring your family to us? And why do you stay? Because that's where you need to focus on. And if your thoughts about why the organization is great or why people should work there is the opposite, then that's a problem. You've got to change your thinking, right? Because you want to hire more, uh, better, uh, more and more of those, you know, types of teachers. So there's a there's a list that I'm going to send you in email tonight. Uh, but it's um, it's from the book Developing the Leaders Around You, and it's a list. There's uh, two of them actually. There's one about it's a uh, a self assessment on whether or not you're choosing the right uh, people. You can do a, um, a one to four Likert scale on each of them and identify whether or not these really should be in your top uh, 20 uh, percent. And then also the uh, second assessment is, is um, am, I, am I creating an environment for growth, right? Does my organization have that? So there's a couple more resources I'm going to get for you uh, tonight. So what other, so was there anything else from the higher a great uh, teachers chapter? Because I know we talked about it a couple of chapters ago. Was there a question that really resonated or, you know, something that, you know, someone wanted to talk about? Before we get into this seniority and the pecking order. Polly says she can't unmute. I don't know why you guys can't unmute. Polly, I'm going to make you a co-host too. That means you have to participate though. I'm going to make Shelly on too. We're going to just have a whole group of co-hosts here. All right. So let's talk about this uh, question. It's on page 14 of your workbook. How can principals begin to send the message that there is no pecking order and that effectiveness is valued over seniority? Because there's one thing that I think that we get wrong in education often is somehow the person who works at a place the longest somehow has the most opportunity. And uh, let me be really honest, someone can say they have 20 years of experience and I will question them because I'll say, do you really have 20 years of evaluative experience or have you been doing the same thing for 20 years? Because then really you've got one year experience doing it 20 times. There's a big difference between those two people. So um, what were some of your thoughts around, you know, Whitaker, you know, talking about how to, how to create this, you know, culture of that there is no seniority? 
and now that I've got a, an army of you unmuted, we should have lots of lots of response. Well, I think one thing that we do at our school, I'm in charge of the beginning teachers program, and we have a lot of beginning teachers, a lot of lateral entry teachers, even that are bringing a lot of things, or not lateral residency now, but they're um, bringing workplace experience with them and different types of things. And so we try to spotlight them to even around the school and to focus on what they're doing well and how much they have to offer so that the veteran teachers, you know, know that we have leaders even in the beginning teacher program. Yeah. What else? What are some other strategies that you are using? Oop, I'll get you, Ms. Swain. I'll bring you in. Oh, we've got so many screens up. There she is. Creating situations where all members of the staff have to communicate. Yeah, and you have to be conscious of that. You have to be careful with that um, as well. I remember when I created kind of this um, balkanized, right, um, collaborative, you know, piece where I was just like forcing collaboration. But one thing that I didn't do a very good job of getting clear with expectations, we didn't have norms, we didn't have values around our meetings. Um, so just being really uh, conscious of that, because sometimes, you, you know, you got some of those skillful politicians in those, you know, small meeting groups and you're forcing them to uh, communicate. Well, they'll uh, communicate all right. <laughs> they may hurt some feelings. So who, who was uh, it who wanted to come? Was it? Uh, yeah, go for it. So, um, you know, I, I'm not sure what everyone's levels are, but I'm, a, I'm at a six through eight middle school public middle school and I have department chairs for each department. Um, and what I do is every two years, the department chair has to potentially give up their post. So what I do is I, um, I let them know you've been a department chair for two years or more, and now it's time to see if anyone else on campus is interested in a leadership position. Um, and and if, if not, then of course they can keep that, that leadership spot, but I think it's important to allow for anyone on campus who needs leadership experience or wants leadership experience to, to have that opportunity. And so uh, we're in that process right now for next school year in opening up our department chair, um, and which means that it could be anybody. It could be a teacher who's just finishing their first year, but maybe they've done a great job as a first year teacher and want to be the department chair next year. It's not likely, but it could happen. So I want to be able to extend those opportunities to teachers who want to become instructional coaches or counselors or administrators early on so that they're not, you know, in year 15 and, and hadn't had that opportunity to lead in some capacity. That's great. There's this one particular school that we work with. Thanks for sharing that. Um, Community School of Davidson, very similar model is that if you think you may be an administrator one day, and they're a charter school, so some of you may or may not be able to do this. I'm not sure what the rules are in your district or your state. But if you maybe want to be a leader one day, a positional leader in your organization, uh, you can apply to be an administrator for the day. 
And so of the 12 months of the school year, 11 months, however many they have, um, you one day are pulled directly out of your classroom. They get a substitute for your classroom and you handle the duties of the administrator for that day, okay? So that means you could be doing fun stuff like getting into classrooms, giving feedback, or you could be investigating who left like a cigarette on the bathroom floor, whatever it is, right? You are an administrator for the day, you uh, participate in all the administrator activities, whether they're meetings, um, they have an administrator's blog, so you're uh, part of that process. And so <clears throat> what, and, and, and they have 10 of them per year. So what Joy Warner, who's the leader there, you know, told me, she said, it's been the best professional development they've ever, you know, done at the cheapest cost, because it's about $1,000 a person, uh, because it only costs sub costs, you know, for that day. Uh, for those, you know, 10 times of the month. But she, what, but what she uh, creates, though, is that, you know, people who get to see the school from a larger picture and a larger spectrum, so that when they go back into those grade level meetings or, you know, team meetings or whatever, they're not necessarily making decisions or communicating uh, based upon the four walls that they work with, work uh, within. They're now making, having conversations about the larger aspects of the school and why certain uh, decisions are made. So, you know, you know, she said, regardless if they decide to, you know, move forward and try to get the administrator's degree, they're constantly cultivating and building leadership, uh, you know, within their people. Um, so maybe you guys could do, you know, something similar, you know, to that, right? How do you get, how do you get your teachers, no matter what level they are, thinking outside of the of the four walls. I love it. Yeah, Ms. Swain said the same thing. I let my teachers who are in the leadership programs to step outside of classroom be admins for the day, cover the classes. Yeah, it's huge, right? It's a really great experience from them to see the bigger picture and to be part of those larger meetings because what you need is your voice can't be in every grade level meeting. Your, you know, your voice can't be in every, uh, you know, water cooler talk or anything like that. You need vision carriers, right, and Joy calls them culture infusers in all those meetings to have those conversations. So just really something to uh, think about. How am, I, how am I building the capacity in my high capacity people? Yeah. And Ms. Wayne also said that uh, let them, you know, shadow me as a leader. Yeah, that's, that's a great opportunity. So yeah, so that's a big part about, and also it all, you know, it goes back to mentorship as well. Um, I don't believe, I think education has in, in, in a way, you know, ruined the term mentorship um, because, you know, someone teaches for four years or five years, you know, depending on your state, and all of a sudden they can apply to be a mentor and then they're assigned a mentor. But I don't personally believe that mentorship is ever assigned. You know, you know a mentorship is earned. And so, um, so just also be conscious of that, right? If, you know, how are these mentors getting trained? Do they understand their role in mentorship? Um, how are these relationships being, you know, um, uh, developed? And um, I just got to a point where I let the mentees choose their mentors over time, all right? We just, you know, constantly had meetings and opportunities uh, for them, but I didn't want to assign mentorship because I wanted the relationship and the trust uh, to be there. Um, uh, beforehand. Don't know if anybody has any great ideas or thoughts around mentor programs, but I don't believe again it should another be like a um, a leveled a leveled you know piece has to be earned. 
Cool. And then, just, you know, just this last part, I love what, you know, what Whitaker talks about, you know, how can, how can the principal informally begin the process of induction during interviews? I mean, a big part of it, right? I love that uh, page in the book, and I took a picture of it, and I put it in the, um, in the Facebook group uh, about, you know, what, what they're, you know, what they're looking for, right? What's, what's the actual um, leader they're looking for? Let me find what page, page it's on here. It's on page 55 of my book, and I have um, the yeah, second edition. But on page 55, it says, I'm looking to add teachers who want to be part of the best school in the United States. I want new teachers to speak up and at the very first faculty meeting, if they so choose. If I did not welcome your ideas, I would not bring you on board. I value the people who work to make this school the best it can be. There is no pecking order here. I love that. I was like, every school should like, change your job description and that should be the first you know five or six lines of it right there i'm looking to create the best school in the united states not just in my city or town in the united states is what he's looking to do and i love that right really really paint the picture and the vision because that would excite me um you know as a teacher like that intrigues me i think i want to apply and work there So your action step, your call to action for, for hiring great uh, teachers, if you choose, is to go back and review your hiring process and, and see, are, you know, are we doing this? Do we have a clear definition of, of, of who we want? What are the characteristics? Do we have an avatar for our best you know, teacher, in a sense, right? Do we have them um, you know, clearly, uh, these are all of the, of the skills and the qualities that we're looking for. And does our hiring process allow us, you know, to get there, right? If we're looking for specific skills, what part of our hiring process do, do the individuals practice this, right? So on Wednesday, I'm, I'm you know, uh, uh, completing a job with a school where we're hiring the leader. And so they've already been through four interviews. And so on Wednesday, they have to present their 90-day strategic plan. So I had them do a plan. I, I let them do some reverse interviewing. Um, we're having them write an impromptu, you know, letter to the parents about, you know, something that happened on school that day. Like all these skills that we're looking for, like how do you put, how do you put the person in the situation of what you want them to be able to deliver? And so, so that's just an important part of the process of really thinking through your hiring uh, uh, process so you can pretty much weed out and debunk any reason why you may not want to bring them forward. Shall we move on? Yes, no? All right, let's talk about designing for change here, designing for change. I'm gonna share my screen, but this is, something I put in the Facebook group, and I'll make sure that I share this with you all. This leading through complex times. Is this the screen everybody's seeing now? Is this, is this working? Cool. I wonder if I can blow it up a little bit. Okay, so this is, um, oh, the name's escaping me of the, it should be listed here at the bottom, but it's not. Um, so this is just, you know, something, you know, think about now, if I'm trying to create change in my organization, there's these there's these aspects that I really have to look at my organization through. And, and so what's, what's creating this, uh, this lack of change, you know? Could it be uh, that the vision isn't clear, right? If the vision isn't clear, then we have confusion by the organization. If the skills aren't there, it creates anxiety. I mean, think back a year ago now when, hey, you now need to be a virtual teacher. And if I've never taught virtually or even turned on a computer or used anything like this, I'm sure there's a lot of anxiety 
and you're going to have a copy of this. So, you know, don't, you know, worry about it. You don't have to take any pictures. So I'm going to send it to you. Um, if you don't have buy-in from your people, you're going to create, it's going to create resistance, right? If you don't have buy-in, it creates resistance. If you don't have resources, people get frustrated, right? If they have old stuff or things that don't work, right? And I think COVID March, 2020 through like, you know, the end of the school year was a great example of all these pieces. Like what? You want us to do what? I don't have clarity in the vision that you want me to teach from my house or my kitchen table. I don't understand, right? I've never done that before, right? I've never done that before. I've never had to teach, you know, virtually. And I'm not really sure if this is the right thing we should do. And my computer doesn't work. And I don't have the you know, technology to be able to do it. And my internet's always out, and, right? And then the last one is, well, what's the plan? And the leader doesn't have a plan, right? And that just creates uh, false starts, right? When you're going back and forth. Or maybe if you're relying on the district or your state to give you a vision, right? And it's like, okay, well, how are you going to teach us how to do this? Right. And, and I don't think this is the right way. All these pieces, right. So leading through complex times. And as a leader, you're constantly going through this model. It's not just for COVID. It's for anything. Like you're constantly going through anytime you're trying to create positive change in your organization. You have to really think through the clarity of these of this matrix here. And so when you have all five in place, it's when you start to actually see change and momentum, um, you know, uh, really happen there. So thinking through where your organization is right now, when you're trying to create you know, change in any initiative you have, what's, you can either put it in the chat box or open yourself up. Um, uh, what's, what's, you know, what's an area that you think you, you might be lacking with your organization? I hear someone typing away. Does anybody have any thoughts? Anybody want to share one of the one of the areas that they think was a struggle for them or their or their team? There we go. In the chat box, we've got uh, right now. There's anxiety and frustration because of COVID. Oh, absolutely, right? Because there's a lack of clarity. And, um, and, and we don't really have all the resources, right? Or the resources we got really aren't what we needed. And then we can't find kids, right? They're not logging in or even worse, right? Then if you went from being fully remote to then opening your school in a hybrid model where you had to have, you know, teachers teach to the classroom, but also teachers to be able to teach to the computer because there's kids virtually on the backside, like that's a whole different level, right? So you as a leader, were constantly leading through all this all this, you know, uh, complexity and all these uh, personalities. And Polly says the skills because teaching has been so different this year and because we have so many teachers that are lateral with no education background. Yeah, that's a, that's a significant part of it, right? So, so now you're hoping that, okay, even though they may not have skills, right, do they buy in to the picture that we're trying to get to, right? Can I, you know, can I train them? Can I, you know, equip them? Can I, can I reduce their, their, you know, anxiety because they're not sure how to do it, right? And so um, yesterday I, I read this blog by Seth uh, Godin. It was a short blog and he talked about uh, perfection. He talked about perfection. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull it up now here. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that we always have to be really, really um, 
concerned about, right, is seeking perfection. He says, um, oh, wrong one. He says, perfect or we're not going, right? When does this rule apply? It doesn't apply to, to anyone we've ever hired. It doesn't apply to anything we've ever purchased. It doesn't apply to any project we've ever sponsored or anyone we've ever voted for, dated, or uh, befriended either. In fact, it's a great excuse for things we're afraid to do or where our inclination to say no anyway. If you're hoping for inaction, look for perfect. And so as leaders, like, we have to understand, like, you know, there is no perfection. <laughs> Maybe God is perfect, people are perfect in every little way. They are. They just are, right? They're created perfectly. But we're also created with all sorts of flaws. And so the only way to be able to, to lead through this, right, is to start to, to create this clear vision of where it is that we want to be. And a year ago when we were starting these uh, communities, I kept saying, well, who is it that you want to be? in times of crisis for your organization? Who is it that you need to be for your stakeholders in your community, right? So in the chat box, what are, what are schools built to be? What do you think that we are built to be here? What's our role? Because we're asked to be so many things now, right? We're asked to be social and emotional support and counselors and uh, cafeterias, right? New attritionists and, um, you know, uh, teaching kids about, you know, physical exercise. Stable, yeah. Create, create some sort of, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, stability or, you know, structure in, in the lives of uh, so many. I mean, when I think about the state of North Carolina, there's there's 65,000 students missing, like 65,000 students in North Carolina did not report to school this year. 65,000. Where are they? What are they doing? Are they all being homeschooled? Like, oh my gosh, like that's a, you know, that's a challenge. So what are, so what, what can the organization be, right? So that's getting really clear on your vision of what you want it to be, right? So when I think about understanding the dynamics for change, I have to have clarity in my vision. Okay, I have to have clarity in my vision. And I don't, I don't need to be certain on how I'm going to get there. Okay? But to be unclear is to be unkind. So I need to have clarity. I got to start there. I might not know how to do it. And that's okay. I didn't know how to do lots of things. I didn't know how to ride a bike. I didn't know how to walk. I didn't know how to talk. I didn't know how to swim. I didn't know how to really eat at one point, right? But we've all learned how to do these things. So we have to give up the notion of knowing how, because honestly, we didn't know how to do anything until we did it, right? You didn't know how to do anything until we did it. But I had to have clarity in what I wanted to accomplish and who I wanted to be, so then I could start to line up all of these other pieces. And I think about what, you know, Whitaker talks about this, you know, you know design for change, he uh, talks about, um, my dear Aunt Sally, right, who came to the table, who brought energy, who brought a new idea and a thought. And over that time, every single day, she was hammering out the strategies of doing what? What was the thing that dear Aunt Sally did? 
what's the big thing that she did? She asked a question at dinner, right? Mm -hmm. Something like, like, what was three things that were funny today or something to that effect? And then she modeled the way. She showed them how to do it at the beginning. It's a law of modeling. So she gave some expectations and some uh, parameters about it. And then she came back to the next day and she, she did the same thing. And then she came back for dinner the third day and she did the same thing. And by the fourth day, the kids were like, I, I want to go first. I can't wait for dessert, right? She was a climate changer. She changed, the, she changed, she was slowly changing the culture of what dinner was like at the table just by infusing climate, right? This little climate changers. And that's what those great teachers that you're hiring, those beginning teachers, right? Who bring so much spark and energy and new idea and thought can do. As long as they're not eaten by the culture, right? Dinner table doesn't consume them. Oh, we don't talk at dinner. No, you can't do that, Polly. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Oh, no, you can't have your bread before everything else. No, no, no. Salad's last. That's the way we've always done it here, Polly. Nope. Sorry. Right? But that's what happens, right? And I didn't know that as a leader. I didn't know that I had to nurture my beginning teachers and make sure that they heard my voice. They heard my vision. They heard mine. Not the vision of the boxcars, right? If you remember, if everybody was on last week and the week before, whenever I talked about the Tomcats and the boxcars. But I didn't, I let, I, I let them gravitate towards what I thought was a safe place, but it wasn't, right? So how did Aunt Sally change the dynamics? She, she you know, instilled vision, right? She was a vision carrier of this newness and then she, she multiplied herself into the children and then, the, and then the children all of a sudden started to take it and run wild, right? They're like, oh, I wanna do this. So how are you doing that right now, right? Who are your vision carriers? Do they have the capacity to communicate? Are you teaching them how to communicate and collaborate? Are, you, are they clear about the expectations? Are they clear about the vision that we're trying to get to? Recently, when I was in charge of some aspects of a school, I would sit in all into my IP meetings and I would listen to the parents talk about, you know, all the problems that they were having and how they couldn't get online or how they didn't want to bring their kids to school, even though their kids were failing every subject. And I kept hearing the uh, teachers say, I understand. I understand. I understand. And when I talked to that teacher, I said, do you really? Do you want to make agreement? Is that what you think? Do you, you know, do you think that the, that, that the kid's doing well by actually staying home? You know, do you think we've done everything that we can? And they're like, no, of course not. So, well, then don't make agreement. Just say, okay, I hear you. But what about this, right? You see, the problem is that we get, we, we allow the culture, we don't want to upset the apple cart by bringing in new ideas. And that's sometimes how our brand new teachers feel or our idealistic teachers feel when they bring ideas and when they bring ideas and eventually they don't feel heard, what do they stop doing? What do they stop doing everybody? 
They stopped talking. <laughs> they stopped talking. Yep. Doesn't take long either. Mm -hmm. Doesn't take long. They stop talking and they start opening up the classifieds. Mm. Mm -hmm. Who has a job open? See, as leaders, that's our job is to set that culture, right? And to, and to remove barriers. And individuals in your organization who consume good ideas, right, and eradicate the behavior of our, of our best teachers, that's our job is to remove it, right? And in other books from, you know, Whitaker and Holt say you, you just got to separate it. And you always separate the being from the behavior because we see everybody as a 10, but we let them know that they can't do that here. In other books, Whitaker talks about how he would flip the faculty meeting like up, upside down, like he would, he would pretend that the front of the meeting was going to be in a certain aspect, right? And all the, all the naysayers always sat in the back and what would he do? All right, everybody, turn around your chair. I'm going to be over here. And then he had all of them right in front, right? So he could be praised in proximity right there and make them uncomfortable. Because you as the leader shouldn't be the uncomfortable person in any conversation. You're the one who's turning challenges into opportunities, right? Through the three P's, plan, or I'm sorry, purpose, plan, and persistence. Great leaders see every challenge as, as an opportunity, right? And with every opportunity, there's growth. There's growth and opportunity for a positive change and to create improvement. And that's really ultimately what we're trying to do. So whether we're in COVID times or any other times, our job is to be better this week than we were last week. 1%. If I could be 1% better every single week, Polly, even if I took a two-week vacation, I'm still going to be 50% better than when I started. I'll take that in a year. We got to stop wanting it all now. Every consistency compounds over time. Breakthroughs occur when good decisions over time, right, are coupled on top of each other. That's when change happens. And effective leaders never let the before impact what could be. They don't pay attention to what happened before because they don't, it doesn't matter to them because they know that they're going to create change through a framework that they've, you know, uh, developed, right? Clear vision, equipping people, communicating and uh, collaborating to create buy-in, ensure that, you know, people feel resourced and having a plan that can be carried out to get change. I don't know how many of you, well, you're new this year, Paul, you said, right? So when you came into the school, were you in that school uh, before as like a teacher yeah. or this is your first? Okay, so you're no, already working. Yeah, I don't, we, this charter school is in its fourth year, okay? And I came the very first year, I retired from public education and came and I came as a fifth grade teacher part-time um, beginning teachers in curriculum. So I was in the classroom and out of the classroom that year under one leader. And that leader left and another leader came. And that leader was only here for a year, but I elected to stay in the classroom that year because I didn't know if there was gonna be a leadership 
position or not. So I said, just let me teach. <laughs> so I did that year. And then the third year we got, we have another leader and she's now been here for two years. And, um, you know, she came to me early on and I tried to help her with the beginning teacher program. And then she came mid year last year and said, can you be part-time in the classroom, part-time <laughs> out of the classroom? And so this year I'm full-time out of the classroom. <laughs> So it's, it's been an right. interesting journey. And that's part of the thing. We've had three leaders in four years. Wow. And that's not a, unfortunately, in, in a lot of schools, that's not an abnormality. I mean, that's sometimes normal, right? But it's interesting, like three or four times over the last couple of years, I've been that person, uh, Polly, who's actually had to come into the school to try to write the ship and hire the next leader. And it's amazing to me the first couple of weeks of how many people come to me and just start telling me all the bad things that are happening. I just thought you should know. I just thought you should know this. Or I was promised this. I'm like, okay. But when we get there, we'll get there. I'm not too worried about that. It'll be fine. You know, I'll learn. You just worry about your job. Mm -hmm. And I'll worry about all that other stuff, right? Mm -hmm. You see, if we could just lead ourselves, if we could just lead ourselves, right, and work twice as hard as, you know, like I always say, it's like, if you could just work as half as hard as trying to prove me right, rather than trying to prove me wrong, we would be in a better spot, right? Stop telling me all the reasons why it's not going to happen and show me how it can. I don't care if you think it can happen. I know it can. I mean, we've walked on the moon, right? We're 3D printing esophaguses. Like, you know, we can do this. And here's the important thing that all the people who knew how to get to the moon never actually stood on the moon, did they? The only people who stood on the moon were the ones that were brave enough to get into that little rocket and go. They didn't know how to get there. They just knew how to drive a ship. <laughs> so it's important. Right, that we surround ourselves with, with, with quality people, right, who, who have clear, uh, true values, you know, similar values that uh, we do and, and can really help us, right, in, in those challenging times, continue to be that vision caster, to continue to carry it all forward and not worry about things that, are, that should be left in your rearview mirror. And so as we you know, complete this week up. I just want to, you know, there's this, the uh, chapter on standardized uh, testing. The one part that I really love is this uh, visual, um, you know, that's in there. It's at the start of the chapter. And this is, I don't know if anybody's ever done this with your staff, you know, before when you have those standardized, uh, you know, testing questions. Um, but the visual about, you know, draw the circle, what should schools be doing? And what, you know, standardized test measure? I mean, you know, it's a section of that. Uh, so one of the other resources I'm going to give you all uh, tonight is, is our 10 indicators of uh, success, right? And these are what we have found are 10 ways that schools can measure themselves. Because I believe that if you're waiting for the government to tell you what success looks like, you'll be chasing rainbows forever. So you as a leader need to identify what will, what will success look like uh, to us, right? What are the key attributes? What are the key indicators? of our school success. So let's just rattle off a couple off the top of your head, everybody. Looking at this first, you know, question, what should schools do? What should schools do? What should we be doing besides educating kids? How should we be educating them, right? What should they know? 
with some of the things that dictate a success at your school, Ms. Hopkins? I'll make you co-host if you can't unmute yourself. I'm not sure why that's doing that. All right, I can finally speak. Woo, nice. Um, I guess I was just gonna, you, your initial question was what should we be doing in school? And I was gonna say we should be teaching our students how to solve problems. Because as we move forward in, in our society, I mean, that's really the, the, the crest of the work that they're gonna be doing is how do they problem solve? How do they think critically about uh, situations? And I, I find that our students tend to not be as good at doing that. They're, they're really, um, they have a difficult time dealing with adversity and not being able to figure things out. And so um, I think that's something that I think we really need to think about moving forward. Um, and then your question that you just asked was, oh, I'm sorry, I was about to sneeze. Um, you said something about my school? Yeah, how do you, so how do you measure that, you know, success, right? If we're teaching students how to problem solve, what's one measurement that you all use as an organization to know that you're doing that? Well, um, we, at this point, we have what we call benchmark assessments. And I would hope that um, as we look at those assessments that they are asking students to, to problem solve um, as a part of those, those questions. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of it, right? And if you haven't had that conversation as a team about well, what are we really trying to do here, right? What is it that we're really trying to do? Like my daughter's school um, and my son's school, it's called Explorers. And their mission is to solve global problems locally. That's their mission. And so I'd say 90% of their work, maybe more, has to do with advocacy and and you know learning about world you know issues and how they actually exist here in Raleigh North Carolina and then they go and they interview you know advocates right or they go and you know get involved with nonprofits or they do like a big part of their you know chunk and they do fine on the test right that's a big part of what they do or that's you know that's a part of their success but it's just one part of their success but if we haven't created this you know um this measurement you know, matrix about what we're going to do, again, going back to our having a clear purpose and vision, and then measuring that and finding ways to measure that, then it's really hard to build all the in-between. And so, in my opinion, when a lot of schools complain about standardized tests, it's like, well, how else are you measuring success? Give me a list. And if they don't have a list, it's like, well, then that's the best tool that you got, right? So it's really important that that's part of what you do. And I know there's, you know, district mandates and state mandates and all those pieces, and that's fine. Um, you have to deal with that, right? And that's what, you know, uh, you know Whitaker's talking about here is, is don't focus on the, the merits of the test. Identify the measurements, right? The measurement of your school's success and say, well, this is how we measure their ability to take a standardized test. And here's how we measure their ability to uh, solve problems. And here's how we measure their ability to advocate for themselves. And here's how we uh, measure them to be good uh, 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 communicators. And here's how we measure them to be good citizens. I mean, whatever it is, your attributes of success of your 
your portrait of a graduate. Maybe some of you have a portrait of a graduate. And if you don't, that's a really great exercise to do. If you're a K-5 school, what does a, a fifth grade graduate look like when they leave here? What are the skills and attributes they'll have? And then you could ask every grade level, hey, what are you doing to get us to that portrait of a graduate, right? And that's one way, right? It's one way to really determine uh, the overall success of your school. And it's a great way to promote your school. It's a great way to align your uh, curriculum. It's a great way to um, ensure that your hiring practices align to the school that you aim to be. It's a great way to build, uh, you know, succession and alignment because, you know, uh, Polly just said sometimes leaders don't stay a long time, right? And, you know, Whitaker talked about sometimes it could take up to three to nine years to change culture. Well, I mean, imagine if the average tenure of a, of a leader here in North Carolina is 2.7 years. Well, gosh, every, every three years, the school is just turning over. It might not ever get that chance, right? So to be able to design for change, you have to have those those, um, you know, uh, design for change uh, uh, tenets in place. Change, change agents in your school, clarity in what we're changing to, uh, and then the ability to multiply and cascade that communication out. What are some other ways that you all are measuring success for your school? Anybody else have another strategy or indicator that they use? I think wellness is important, right? So one of the things yes. that do every Monday, I send out a, a wellness check survey to my staff, just checking in on them to see how they're doing. Um, they get to do a rating scale, but then there are, there's also an opportunity to kind of dump, if you will. And, and some teachers will tell you a lot <laughs> uh, because sometimes they're fine at school, but not fine at home or vice versa. And so then we turn around and uh, we visit them. You know, if they're, if they're having a hard time or something, we'll give them some FaceTime. And one of my teachers one time put that she would just like crackers and some water. She just wanted a snack. And so I took her crackers and water and she was like, you do read those. And I was like, yes, I do. That's the whole point of it or I'm wasting my time. And so um, it's really important that my, my staff knows that they cannot be present for our kids if they're not taking care of themselves. And so that's big for us. Um, you know, we, we have a, a, a culture of taking care of one another and that's just one way from, from my seat that, that I'm able to do that. Yeah, I love that. That's great, right? So wellness, and that's a, I mean, what a great opportunity as a staff to really come like, because remember, you're cultivating for the school next year, right? You're, you're, you know, most of you are, you all should be in the point, right? You know, first day of spring was yesterday. So you all should be at a point of like planning for next year. What a great way to do that and to build some buy-in and to, you know, and to build some motivation and some, cause some of your staff might not be feeling next year. They're like, Oh, this was the worst year ever. I don't want to come back, but how could we, how could we start to plant the seeds? of next year being the best year ever by having this conversation around, what is it that we do? What is it that we think success looks like here? What is it that we want success to look like here? And start to build our, uh, our programming around 
wellness, character ed, communication, problem solving, um, knowledge, right? All those aspects of school. And then when we have those lined up, then we ask, well, what's our strategy? Because with everything you do, if you have a goal, you got to have some sort of strategy to get there. Uh, because I don't know about you, Lindsay and Polly and Angela and Grace, like a goal without a plan is just a wish. <laughs> I just can't wake up every day and go, oh, man, I really hope it happens today. Hope is not a strategy. You got to have something in place, right? And to be able to uh, strategize, you as a leader have to have the white space time to think, the freedom to think, to be able to collaborate with your team and create the best plan. And then you need the people on your team to be able to help you execute, right? That, and to bring better ideas and to groom your ideas and cultivate your ideas. But it all really starts. It all really starts. Well, it's one way or the other. Either a vision and then you attract the people or you have the people and then you create a vision. Either way, they both work. But one of those two things has to happen uh, for you to be able to move forward, right? Where are we going? Who are the people we need? Or, hey, we got all these amazing people here. Where do we want to go? I don't care which model you use, right? They both work, uh, but pick one and make sure that you're very clear, especially using those uh, matrices. So the resources I'm going to share with you in the next 24 hours are, you already have access to the hiring you know, webinar, right? So you can put your team around that if you don't think you have an effect, if you're not sure if you have an effective hiring a process. Take your team around that. It's about an hour webinar, and there's a guidebook there uh, for you. Um, another resource could be taking your team through that manage or that you know leading through a complex time and say, hey, where do we think we are with this you know situation? Where's the challenge? Is it with our vision? Is it with our skills? Right, and then you could attack that uh, particular opening. Um, the uh, and then the last one was those ten indicators of uh, success, and these are you know these are uh, um, measures that you could use and you could do a self-assessment with your team around where do we think we are around these, you know, 10. And it's not going to be like what, you know, Robin gave us a you know, problem solving, right? It's not about that part about it. It's about making sure that you have the infrastructure to create that uh, is what this indicator for success is. Uh, so when I'll share that out, I'll put some context around it. So, all right. Amazing job today. And I'm Robin, I'm so sorry that someone told you to sit back down. I hope you, I hope you said, I've been sitting all day. Uh, I'm good. I'm going to get up now and I'm going to, I'm going to share this one more time because I, I think you need to hear it, right? I hope that's what you did. So. Yeah, well, no, actually, I didn't respond that way. I, I actually probably stayed quiet for about six months. Didn't say a word. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but then I addressed the situation. And, of course, now I open my mouth. So they can't keep me quiet. <laughs> they can't, can't keep you quiet. Well, listen, I think, and that's the most important part out of all this, everybody, is to know who you are. And we don't get what we want out of life. We get who we are out of life. And so um, that was an important you know, piece for me, if you were part of the Harmony workshop that I did over the weekend, is just really getting really clear on who it is I aim to be and, and, and what it is I aim to achieve and making sure that those two align. And anything that's in my world that doesn't align to those two, I have to let go of, 
because they no longer serve me. And that's a big part of this, right? To lead uh, boldly, as Ms. Swain says here in the chat box, sometimes we have to let go of, of old attachments that no longer serve us. That'll will be tough for some people, but it's okay. If they can't prove to you that it's gonna take us to the destination, wherever we uh, want to end the year, then we don't have to do it anymore. You have my permission. You can say, I learned from some you know, bald guy that he said, I, you know, we don't have to do it anymore. So we're not going to do it. So then you can just send them to me. So, all right, everybody, have an amazing week. Be safe. Okay, take care of yourselves. And uh, looking forward as we, as we dive into the second half of the book uh, next week. Bye-bye.